Welcome to British Wrestling Spotlight on the IndieCorner.com. I'm Benno. I'm JP. And I'm Joe. And it's been a little while since we've uh, recorded the show. We seem to be the best six-weekly-ish podcast going on the internet. That's my claim anyway. Uh, we've had a few technical issues today as well in getting this done, so apologies if the sound is a little bit off from our usual studio quality. But uh, Joe and JP, how do I find you both? Oh, pretty good. Um, looking forward to going to a bit of Pro Wrestling Eve this weekend. Um, basically had a bit of a sort of a month of not seeing too much after, apart from Summer Sizzler and then being over OTT. So really looking forward to it. How about you, Joe? Yeah, I'm all right. Uh, back at work, so, you know, never fun. But uh, yeah, looking forward to um, getting about the woes of the week and getting back on it with progress. <laughs> like everyone forgets. Yeah, well, today we're going to, as you mentioned, we're going to talk in quite a bit of detail about progress. We're going to look at previewing their big show this weekend at uh, Ali Pali uh, this Sunday. We'll also talk uh, their New York and Boston shows and also Chapter 54, talk some of our highlights from that. But as I said, it's been a little while since we recorded. I mean, uh, you've both been to uh, quite a few shows in the time and so have high. Uh, what have been uh, some highlights of the last month for you in uh, British Wrestling? Well, we went over to OTT, which was quite like a month ago now, actually. Yeah. Uh, it's gone very quick, but we went to their weekender where they did the uh, National Stadium show, mm. which is the second show at the National Stadium in Dublin. Um, and we went to the second night um, of shows in Belfast as well. So we had a little uh, little mini tour around Ireland, watching a bit of wrestling, did a bit of a sightseeing and all the rest of it. Uh, it was great fun, actually. Um I hadn't really watched a great deal of OTT, to be honest with you, before, but atmosphere looked great. It was kind of a cheap trip, uh, and it, yeah, really lived up to my expectations. I'd say it exceeded my expectations, actually. Um, what I found with OTT was they really mastered how to put on that kind of, uh, what is perceived as a big show in sort of British independent wrestling. I know it's Ireland, but they're obviously using the talent that's used there. In Britress, um, the setup for one was awesome. Yeah. I thought they really nailed uh, like production value for the show. Really nice stage setup. Really nice layout within the National Stadium as well. Um, and up and down the card, I can't think of one. Uh, uh, Katie Harvey Martina wasn't especially good, and Paul Tracy, Jimmy Havoc, I could have done without as well. But really, top to bottom. There was no outstanding match, but every match was enjoyable and every match worked within that setting as well. So I was really happy with that. Um, and JP, do you want to talk about the Belfast show? Yeah, Belfast show was absolutely tremendous. Um, I have to give a bit of a shout out to um, Peter and Andrew. Uh, yeah, yeah, over there. great we blokes. Great blokes, a few beers after. And cracking atmosphere, cracking venues. like being in the ballroom, but it was extra up close. So we were kind of real front row um, it was all standing as well, wasn't all, it? All standing. Apart from the balcony. Apart from the balcony bit, yeah. And it was really good fun. Mm. And crowd were wild. So Kings of the North had never been an act that I'd been particularly sort of enthusiastic about. I'd seen them in progress and it felt, it felt a bit underwhelming. In Belfast, it completely works. They were by far and away like the, the biggest faces on the card. Up against British Strong Star, and I think they enjoyed kind of working a different type of match as well from the usual kind of touring six mans they've been doing. So it was really hot, and a couple of really good young guys to look out for: Curtis Murray and Adam Maxted. Sort of really couple, and you know, tag team two unlimited. They were yeah. they were good. So there's like good signs for the Irish wrestling scene. 
Yeah, Kurt Murray, I thought, looked outstanding, considering how young yeah. he was. Uh, he faced Jody Fleisch, and you've got to give a shout-out to Jody Fleisch and Jody Storm oh, as well. They yes. can both still really go. I was really impressed with both of them. In all honesty, I sort of wondered why there weren't, uh, why more of the kind of um, more prominent British promotions aren't using them more regularly. I know Red Pro have gone through phases of using them, but watching them here, they really got good matches out of Murray, and Adam Maxted looked decent against yes. Jerry Storm as well. They just seemed like a couple of guys who would be really valuable on maybe like the Freedom's Road type shows. I'd love to see them get a sort of another run in Red Pro as a tag team. They haven't, they haven't been booked there for a while. Yeah. Those guys against, say, like Chapman and Wall, uh, maybe a match against CCK in there yeah. as well on a cockpit show. I think that'd be a really welcome addition. Yeah, absolutely. And and for me, it was kind of really... I remember going to Frontiers of Honour and and seeing them there, Johnny turning heel on uh, Jody, and, and which was which was great. And um, so for me, there was a real kind of like... There's a nostalgia trip for me, but also they're getting the best out of these really young guys they're working with. They were put in the perfect places on the card. So it was brilliant. Yeah. So overall, cracking weekend. Highly recommend it. Um, yeah, also got to see Alan Coonan as well, as Joe's just pointed out from my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you... It was a lovely bloke and filled me in on plenty of the G1 that was still ongoing at the time. Anyway, oh, not... what have you been to see? I was going to say, there's not much that uh, that man doesn't know, but yeah, for me, I mean, again, I mentioned oh. Shikara and again, echoing that praise of Johnny and Jody, it was, it was a fun, I, I just went to the first night of King of Trios, and to be honest, it was the British wrestlers that I came away talking about, it was Johnny, uh, Johnny and Jody were on a team with Johnny Moss, kind of that revival uh, year, I think they were house revival. Uh, the revival era of, uh, of British wrestling and Johnny Moss, who, who's someone who you don't see around a lot. He, he doesn't really work the, the type of promotions that, that we're uh, more looking to watch. You, you see, he seems like the more like a, cause he's just so well built. He's, he was on the ITV special. He feels like more of a family show guy, but he got such a big reaction at, at the show just from Johnny and Jody running through their normal spots, but as a team. Uh, both going for dives, and then you've got Johnny Moss following them up with a huge dive. And on night one, he probably got the the pop of the night there. They were definitely a highlight, and I think they they definitely could offer more to British wrestling. And also on that show, I mean, the the British strong style guys uh, made a really good impression. It was really cool to get to see the the Sendai girls. I, I stayed over in uh, in in Wolverhampton, and it was quite funny to be able to see them. Uh, see Satamora, for example, uh, coming out of the fake travel lodge in Wolverhampton. The Red Wings Lodge and going for a jog early in the morning. Who'd have ever thought you'd uh, get to oh, see that? You're spotting all the Japanese talent. <laughs> That's it. All going for jogs as well. I saw uh, <laughs> some of the lads after the the Rev Pro Jacob show, and it's just it's it's just funny that I mean Shikara is kind of that promotion, isn't it, of bringing in hodgepodge wrestlers from all around the world, and you get to see crazy matches. You know that the final being the you know the British Strong Style guys against the Sendai Girls. That's just not a match you would automatically put together and I've not been a big Shikara fan over the years but all in all up and down it was a it was a really fun card and uh, it was one that I'd probably recommend people check out on VOD even if you just uh, look at one of the nights I believe night two is really good as well smart move on their part as well coming over here I think you know to say yeah always been an interesting character he's always been quite an innovative and creative character if if sometimes I think he's maybe almost too innovative mm-hmm. <laughs> in many ways. Um, is that such a thing? I don't know. Yeah. But a uh, smart move coming over here because I think it's the hottest and uh, the most um, kind of visible King of Trios for me has been for years, really. I, I knew a whole lot more about this King of Trios than I have King, King of Trios in probably eight, nine years, I'd say. 
Yeah. That's ki- that was kind of my experience. I mean, I went in quite blind. I wasn't particularly, you know, uh, familiar with the like. There was a Seven Seas team of Hermit Crab, Mailock, and Cajun Crawdads. They're the most Shikara names I think you'll ever hear. Yeah. Uh, they were providing the opposition for Revival, and they beat Revival, which kind of deflated the room a little bit because I think people would have liked to have seen, you know, Jody Fleisch, Johnny Storm, and Johnny Moss go further. Um, but that was a great match. Uh, the strong style team, as I mentioned, uh, Trans Seven Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn took on House White Wolf, Zayas, A Kid, and Adam Chase. That was a really awesome match as well. It was just a fun night, and like I said, it was really entertaining. Just being in the in the same room as some of these characters, you'd go for a, a photo, or you'd go for you'd just be going to the toilet, and one of the Shikara wrestlers would just start talking to you in the mask, and it again it made a, an interesting juxtaposition because I was in the uh, in the pub later on that night, uh, and we were standing there and there was quite a few of the british wrestlers there but strangely there was a lot of american guys there who looked like they could potentially be wrestlers but i didn't recognize any of them i thinking this is a bit weird i'm pretty sure that one might be fire ants that one might be we <laughs> <laughs> kind of standing there approach trying to work out who is who uh, but it was just yeah the fact that they've come all this way and, and flown themselves over is kind of a, a testament to, to british wrestling at the moment it wasn't long ago that pete dunn and mark andrews you know and trent seven were the, the likes flying themselves over to compete in this tournament and get a bit of a name for themselves. So, yeah, I'd certainly recommend people check them out. And if they do come back to uh, England and if they do continue this relationship with Fight Club Pro, I'll certainly be uh, heading out to see them. So, yeah, that's kind of been a highlight of my last month. I also went to see uh, What Culture, uh, their World Cup. Uh, There was a few... uh, I, I kind of promised myself I wasn't going to go and see them, but uh, after hearing the review from you two guys, from your uh, oh, yeah. famous excursion <laughs> to Milton Keynes, but there was a Ricochet Pentagon match I really needed to see there, and there was a, a Will Ospreay match um, with uh, Speedball Mike Bailey that I really wanted yeah. to see as well, which turned out amazing. I don't know if I did either of you see any of the World Cup? Yeah, I've watched the, uh, quite a few of the Osprey matches. I've seen the Osprey Bailey match. I thought that was the best of his... Uh, Matches over those few days. Well, that match was outstanding, to be honest. Mm. Um, love a bit of Mike Bailey. Uh, shame he can't go into America, but kind of wish we used him over here a little Absolutely. bit. Absolutely. Quite nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what I saw from those shows was great. Real mix of matches from Osprey as well, I thought. Sort of mm. really showed off his diversity over the course of a few days because the match with Ricochet was completely different to the match with Mike yeah. Bailey while the Ricochet match was completely different to any match he'd ever done with Ricochet previously. Mm. felt like a very different sort of... Not to say that their other matches weren't story-driven, but this sure. one felt like a more basic story that had a more basic structure yes. than anything they'd done previously, and it worked again. This was the match for the people who who say that those two wrestlers can't tell a story, isn't it? It's for those people, because for certain people in wrestling, the only story is bad guy beats up good guy, good guy comes back, um, which I would argue. But here, that's essentially what this match was, and it was Osprey to showing off how good he was at selling. The show I was at, it was the same thing, that speedball match we just mentioned. The match was, I mean, Mike Bailey's offense is great. His kicks are awesome, but what made them work was Will Ospreay selling them yeah. um, and the way that he sold them and the way that he he mixed in his own offense on his comebacks. And it was just, you're right, yeah, I think Will Ospreay was a highlight of the tournament and he was a highlight of that as well. I mean, Selling has improved hugely and he sells in a variety of ways as well. His selling actually gets people on board in his matches as well now, whereas previously, I remember in progress a couple of years ago, People were criticising his selling, which I just never got. Like maybe there was a lack of consistency to it. Uh, maybe a point I could see, but now I think that 
he's so well-rounded when it comes to his facial expressions, when it comes to some of the little comments he likes to sort of make when he's in pain as well. You really sort of feel his anguish in sort of body language, facial expression and movement as well. So, yeah, I think he's one of the best sellers in, in the business right now, personally. He's really maturing as a wrestler. Mm. I mean, you're kind of saying it now that he's he's had that kind of experience working with a number of guys. I mean, the match that um, that I really enjoyed and I kind of, I mean, I've been pleasantly surprised by it. having seen Rey Mysterio Jr. at Summer Sizzler as well, where he had a really good match with Marty Skrull. Um, was his again the match he had with Will Ospreay, and there's obviously the moment afterwards, which is which is very nice. And you kind of do realise actually how much how important Rey Mysterio is to the to the kind of the history of the business now at this point. He seems to have taken on a really kind of somewhat of a crucial figure, and especially in the in the sort of Brit rest boom. So I watched that. It seemed like the presentation was overall very good. I mean, it's with what culture? It's kind of where does it go from here for me? Mm. Like, I think that's that's it. As much as they've gotten through with it, but like from now, where does it go? Yeah, I think for me, uh, I was I came away from going there live to see them. Is it the uh, the big event center they, they run in Manchester, which is kind of like a a big warehouse, uh, which came off a bit echoey on on the YouTube videos. But overall, I came away with a genuinely positive outlook on what culture, which I probably wouldn't have said in the past. They are somewhat maturing as a promotion. The fact that they're you know, putting guys like Osprey in, in prominent positions and the, they seem to be using a lot of right people and there wasn't a bad match in the World Cup finals. Although I will temper that with them before the World Cup matches, we did kind of stand there for about three hours as they ran through uh, their TV show, which was uh, Monday Night Raw. or It was like if you've ever been to to an Impact taping uh, for TNA, where it's just TV show, TV show, TV show, angle, angle, angle. Mm. And you kind of have the, the same guys uh, coming out, the prestige, uh, the big stable and what culture. Every second segment, it seemed, their music would hit and another one of their guys would come out and they did a big beatdown angle on Osprey and that stuff was a bit hard going. But you can't really argue with what culture. I think they, they do uh, well on YouTube. The finals did in the hundreds of thousands of views. Mm. Um, I think it's something I'm going to, with a tempered expectations maybe keep an eye on what culture if the so one more interesting show from manchester i might head out you'd recommend we get we give what culture a second chance as a live product maybe <laughs> maybe <laughs> I, I don't want to really be the guy whose fault it is when it all goes wrong and you go to a show again and it starts six hours late and the ring breaks and <laughs> <laughs> you have to deal with one of those famous what culture crowds which didn't seem to be so much the case in, uh, in manchester when i went to the uh, the quarterfinals okay all right. Uh, anything, anything else you guys want to cover that you've uh, been to in the last month? Anything else you want to highlight? I went to Fight Club Pro at Bush Hall in London, which was a mm. which was a super fun show. Um, great little venue, really nice little venue they found there. It takes about sort of three hundred. It was pretty full. Everyone was kind of rammed in there. It was a nice little kind of um, it's like a little bit of a ballroom with like sort of chandeliers on the wall and st- on sorry on the ceiling and stuff. Right in Shepherd's Bush, around the corner from the Westfield. So, a really easy location to get to as well. Uh, decent part of the city. Lots around there as well. Um, and the card was really good fun. Really, really good fun. Um, very easy going show. Trent Seven was the ring announcer for the entire show. And he just sort of set the tone for the entire evening with his really relaxed, laid back, but 
quite hilarious ring announcing, to be honest. Um, so that was really good. Uh, highlight of that show was probably the Shane Strickland versus Mark Haskins match, which was like a super athletic contest. Tyler Bate, Jeff Cobb, which was a very good main event. But there was also um, like an eight-man opener, which was kind of like surprise after surprise after surprise. You got some really interesting talent in there. Um, you got, uh, is it Lacey Evans, who is um, the... No, not Lacey Evans. She's in the May Young... Classic. Charlie Evans. That's it, yeah, who is um, a young Australian girl. I'd never seen her before. There's a 17-year-old Millie McKenzie as well. But then the likes of Eddie Dennis were in there, and Pete Dunne was also the also in there, who was the absolute highlight of that match, walking around, kicking fans, getting fans in fireman's carries, and <laughs> all sorts. So he was having a great time there as well. So, yeah, that was a really fun show, and I'll definitely be going to see Fight Club Pro when they come back to London, because, uh, yeah, it was just awesome. It looked like a great little venue. It just looked really packed in. Um, our friend Mark got kicked by Pete Dundon. I kept seeing him on, on, ca- on camera getting uh, almost caught yeah. on all the dives. It looked like one of those venues where you had to kind of run and duck every time there was a big dive. Uh, watching back on the VOD as well, I loved uh, Trend 7 on ring announcing. That was just, that looked uh, extremely entertaining. Um, I mean, Fight Club Pro don't seem to do bad shows at the moment too they're kind of becoming my, my favorite promotion in british wrestling we all went to to see the uh the very first uh international techers show uh from this year mm. uh last month was it in the in wolverhampton yeah. and the night two was uh was the night before the the show that you went to there as well um they just seem to just really deliver don't they and it's kind of yeah bare bones this is what it is it's i mean i spoke to one of the people who worked there and he was saying that it's like he works for progress as well and he was saying well a progress it's it's a job but when you're a fight club pro it's kind of it's fun uh and that's what it is that's what promotion is there's and you see it in the matches don't you there's a difference now i feel at the shows as well like at the fight club pro shows, i just feel mega chilled and really relaxed whereas yeah. the progress shows i don't know sometimes i feel quite annoyed <laughs> and <laughs> get frustrated when i'm trying to be sold a piece of like branding or like tr- uh, like uh, the whole family stuff that we're told about and how we're the progress family that really winds me up whereas trent seven was getting in the ring and just talking to people kind of on their level and it just felt very genuine mm. and it didn't feel like he was trying to kind of um no win people over to believe in this message or brand or whatever it was like you're here you want to see us cool we're going to put on a good show and that really translates uh with the kind of mood of the crowd as well i think that's it yeah and i mean i mean suppose that's a good uh segue into what the the main subject of our podcast is going to be today which is progress um it's pro- pro- progress it's funny because when we to go behind the scenes a little bit i mean when i first pitched the idea for us doing this podcast i think we at first we were talking about maybe doing a, a full-time progress uh podcast for the indie corner at least that was my initial idea i think if we'd done it we'd have been run out of shows by now uh a <laughs> progress with the with some of our opinions apparently you're not allowed to uh criticize progress unfortunately that's a uh, a big element of uh, maybe what's made me a touch uh, negative on on their product and just on on the fan base in general. I mean, I don't know whether you want to talk about the article now, and I don't know where where are yeah. your what's your I suppose what what was what is the state of your progress fandom? We're on the we're a couple of days shy of this big Ali Pali show, and last year when they were in Brixton, I was so excited. I felt like the biggest progress fan in the world, and this year I'm probably not going. There's 
part of me that's thinking, oh, maybe I should look out for a last-minute ticket. I mean, you two guys are going, so, I mean, yeah. are you excited? Uh, I mean, what are you feeling about progress at the moment? Oh, do you know, it's <clears throat> it's probably easily summed up by it. It's complicated. <laughs> um, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's that there are still, as an in-ring product, it's brilliant. It, it, there is lots of stuff that is brilliant. There is times when I've gone to the shows and it is some of the best moments I've seen in wrestling ever. Um, I was kind of gutted I wasn't there for the return of South Pacific Power Trip and, and whatnot. But there is something about it that for me, it's kind of turned if that you're not allowed to just be a, effectively a kind of fan of it, which means that if it's, if it's good, you say it's good. If there's stuff you don't like, then you say you don't like it without being kind of shot down unnecessarily. They all tie some weird progress purity contest <laughs> where it's like, no, but you don't get it. That's a problem. And you kind of want to go, hang on a minute. It just Is it just me? Have I just completely misread this? And it's kind of led to a kind of re-hostile kind of atmosphere. I'm looking at the card and I was saying to you two guys earlier, it's like, it looks like a show and it doesn't feel like this. And I know the response, it's a chapter and it's like, so you're going to charge me double what I normally would pay for just a chapter show. <laughs> that's all right, is it? Because yeah, it's a point well made. Yeah, I, I kind of think that you can't have your cake and eat it. Like, if there is stuff that is wrong with it, you're allowed to say that without it being the argument being entirely misconstrued and turned into a, well, what you're doing is you're wanting a safe space in wrestling. It's like, that's not the point at all. I'm not part of a progress family. I'm a fan who buys a ticket. I'm not part of a Fight Club Pro family or a Rev Pro family. I understand there are fans who really like it and there are fans who like pretty much most things. But I'm at the point where I'm thinking, I don't want to go to this because if I don't like something, I have to keep quiet until I'm well away from there yeah. in case somebody tells me that, you know, fuck that guy or something like that <laughs> or or say like take stuff entirely out of context. It, it's ridiculous. It, you know... <laughs> If and as a result, they are actually losing out on my money. I don't have any overwhelming. Like if this show turns out to be particularly average, I can see myself thinking, oh, "I'll go every once in a while, maybe to see if it's got any better." But I've got a super strong style every year. Like, yeah, imported and it's based around wrestling. Yes, and, you know the the premise of the show, the super yeah. strong style is quality of wrestling in a tournament, and you know it's someone going through that tournament and there's a story usually within the tournament. I'd go back to that, but yeah, I don't know if I'd want to go and watch Flash Morgan Webster doing raw opening segments on yeah. shows every month, if I'm honest, because that's not what I paid my money to get a progress for, honestly. Um, yeah, personally, from my point of view, I've just found that I've become more and more disillusioned with them since the WWE deal was struck. Now, they're probably put in a quite a compromising position when the wwe came a call in i imagine they might have been told you know um you come along with us or well they probably weren't told it this is just me assuming but i imagine that they were put in a position where um they were kind of given choices as to you know come on board and work with us or you know kind of told in a passive aggressive way that we'll trample all over you um so i don't know that for certain but if that you know was aired I, they were in a crap position but hmm. There's working with WWE, and then there's just becoming like, I don't know, like chills. Yeah, 
and like she, that Tuesday Night Jaw has just become like a mouthpiece or a, a promotional piece for WWE. What I find what I find really tough is so many. I've said this before. So many of us get into promotions like Progress because we're looking for alternatives to WWE. Um, now, a company who really you could argue innovated and were the driving force behind this Brit rest boom, or one of the driving forces behind the Brit rest boom, who were edgy, who were different, who were doing things in their own way, are now out there telling us at a time when I know less and less people who actually watch and follow WWE's product on a regular basis, who are following the indies and Japanese wrestling more regularly, that so we're being told by these people that innovated this boom, in a way, that the WWE is great and what they're doing is really good. And it just it's just a kind of embarrassing and it's kind of confusing in a way. Because you're thinking, right, you were the, the people behind some some of these great moments. And you're telling us that this current WWE product, which quite frankly is utter shit, uh, let's be honest about it, is great. <laughs> like, what? If you think this is great, then what else do you think is great? And is this genuine? Like, and ah, oh, just it doesn't make any sense to me. There was a line that Jim Smallman said in his last podcast about how he'd watched more WWE than New Japan this year, and I just sort of thought it, it was simply this like sense of pride in his voice, and I just sort of thought. Like, what? Why are you sort of boasting about that? Like, that's nothing to be proud of. You've unfortunately watched a load of shit rather than a load of great matches this year. And if you're, you know, enjoying shit rather than, yeah, um, rather than you know, great wrestling, then mm. I think this company has kind of left me and others behind, if anything. And I've got no interest in going on a regular basis anymore because I don't want to get served up WWE-style booking every month and see myself just sighing <coughs> while yeah, watching the show. I think there's, there's a lot. I mean, is this, Joe, where you're going to unmask and uh, admit that you're the Laura Brooke of uh, the Indie Corner fame who did the, no. uh, the article, Standards of Truth and Progress? I think a few people have asked whether that was me because I've been quite vocal about... Um, <laughs> yeah. Just saying, this yeah. isn't good enough. This isn't cool. No. Um, no, I've been told that I'm a dick for doing that because, oh, how dare I? Um, and I've seen there are various, I think, what's the bloke's name? Um, uh, Martin Bentley tried claiming that uh, there was some indie corner conspiracy because um, I posted the article on the Progress fan group and then I do a podcast where we were heavily critical of Progress, so there was some sort of indie corner conspiracy against Progress. <laughs> Like, I can assure you, we're not, you know, the sun lobbying Sky News or Murdoch lobbying whoever to put whatever message out there. No, but like, this is just an opinion. It's my opinion, and I didn't write that article. It was funny because, I, I mean, I came across the article and I sent it to you because I was like, Joe, you've got to read this. This is pretty much everything you've kind of been saying in private on our previous podcasts. And it was very much geared towards uh, the fan environment as we touched on at the start, the the feeling. I think a, a lot of it as well is that we maybe it's our own fault for going on the Progress Fan Group. And the, it's a sea of positivity, but to the point where it's just like you said, negative thought kind of gets squeezed out or not even negative thought, just balanced critical thought uh, becomes a problem. And that's what's hard mm-hmm. to pass because just listening to you both talking, then it's kind of like, it's a, the progress product is still good. It's just, it's a, it's a number of things that are kind of jump, 
jumping together. It's the issue with the fans. It's some elements of the product. I mean, we're going to get into the last chapter mm. and the uh, the Teddy Long tag team match player that headlined that, um, and yeah. some of the progress booking that does feel very WWE inspired. And mm. you mentioned that the, I mean, the Tuesday Night Job uh, podcast that was, you know, listen to the start of that where they're explaining the travel woes, and very. you're listening to the three of them, and you're thinking, I was loving it. I was, that was so funny the podcast, so, and I was thinking. These are three genuine people who run a promotion. I'm really enjoying it. And then just as it went on and you get a couple of snipes in there and then you start, they start going along the WWE positivity thing. And that's another element of it. It's the, it's a relationship with WWE. And I think we'd acknowledge, wouldn't we, that the three of us are very much in a bubble where the, we're indie fans. We like what we like, but that's the audience that pro- progress are going after. And it just, being an old school indie fan, it's it's never really sat with me right that this punk rock promotion is so proud of the fact that they're in bed with WWE and I've said it a million times. Meanwhile, uh, their heel champion is supposed to be a heel because he's in bed with WWE. I mean, it's it seems to be a, a number of things there, doesn't it? All pulled together, not just it's not like the products suddenly turn shit. I mean, you wouldn't both be going on Sunday if that was the case, would you? Um, I'll be honest, JP bought me my ticket without asking if I wanted a ticket, and then he just told me <laughs> I had a ticket, so I was like, alright then, I'll go. Um, I did speak to my brother, who's coming with us, about selling the tickets, because I'm not that up for it, if I'm honest. Um, um, but, yeah, we did make a decision to go along. Um, you know, I'm hoping it's going to be a good show. Um, Travis Banks and Pete Dunne and a couple of the other matches on there, I mean, I'm certainly interested in. Um, I know we're going to get onto a preview later on, so I'll save it for then. Um, one of the things I wanted to say as well is when it comes to the criticism and all the rest of it, one thing that they've created is a culture amongst the fans, especially on that bloody fan group, where criticism is a bad thing. Criticism is wrong. Criticism is unfair. Criticism, criticism is negative, therefore yeah. it shouldn't be had because we don't want negative things in our life. And it's like... yeah. Yeah, okay, but that's then at that point, really, should everyone live like that? Yeah. If somebody personally chooses to, that's absolutely fine. Doesn't mean you're an arsehole for saying, well, actually, I want to acknowledge these things are things that could make things better. And there have been times when there have been communications with, on, on the Twitter, on Twitter, and it's been bloody horrible. You just think I'm being spoken down to. Yeah. And, that's not right, and it does put you off the product. And completely. And it's like the kind of if this is the route they're going to, if this is the route where it goes, then that's absolutely fine. It's their company; they can do what they what they want with it. If they choose to do anything in terms of selling up or anything else like that, and I'm not saying they would, and I don't have any information on that, obviously. Then who would blame them? They're young guys who've got a chance to kind of set up lives themselves and their loved ones and their families so you wouldn't necessarily blame them for doing things like that not at all and it's just that trying to say to a lot of people who either have had quite negative experiences about wwe and that's how they end up at indie shows uh, i mean i i kind of think this is like please don't it's kind of insulting to your intelligence when you're being told that Jinder Mahal versus Nakamura was fine and it was okay and you're not hearing any kind of critique of stuff like that Orton Rusev moment which was just just sums up to me what a cunt Randy Orton was but he didn't bother to sell any of Rusev's offence after that beatdown why Orton and Mania Uh, that was one of the biggest stinking poles of shit I've ever seen 
just makes me sort of question, like, what they do actually think regarding wrestling. I've heard Jim talk at length about all sorts of stuff before. He knows what he's talking about. So I just wonder, it, I hate using this term, I really do, but it feels like they ultimately kind of sold out, but are kind of ashamed of the fact that they have, but don't want to say that they sold out, if that makes any sense whatsoever. And it just becomes a little bit kind of, I don't know, and like frustrating at times because any time there's any speculation regarding them in WWE, my God, do they lose their shit. Um, you look at those meltdowns Briley's had on Twitter before. I uh, need to get him away from the Twitter, don't they? Oh, no, absolutely. Get him off that account. It's not doing any favours. You said earlier on, Benno, it's a mixture of things that's all kind of blended together. And his social media... Um, his attitude on social media when talking to fans about minor things. That New York show um, that went up a couple of it went up um, a little bit later than planned. I think um, I wasn't bothered about that at all. What goes up when it goes up. But I saw a few people on Twitter afterwards and went up said like, "Oh, finally!" And what I found was he started reacting really badly to people who were saying yeah. "finally." Like well, some people saying like, "Oh, finally, yes, I can watch this show." He was saying, <laughs> "Oh, fucking finally, bloody, bloody <laughs> bastard sort of thing." And you just sort of think like, "Are you framing every like you're telling us to be really positive, but you're looking at all of these comments in this negative manner, and then like kind of having fans out for daring to kind of say." something that could be an ambiguous comment it's just absolutely ridiculous not just not just any fan either it was i mean there was there were fans who got uh yeah they i think there was a, a wedding uh yeah. set up there was like an yeah. engagement yeah uh, somebody asked somebody to marry them and that very person was the person who said finally on twitter and you got briley coming after them going well i did say the first person who says that's going to get blocked and the person had to come back with no or their friend had to come back with no no i i, I was just saying because my my mum really wanted to see the footage because my boyfriend proposed to me at the show and they had to back down and go oh okay yeah i'm sorry we, we we're not going to block you after all and made her into a joke but it definitely wasn't a joke when it started and briley was i mean i retweeted it he was going after there was some fan who'd said something about it taking so long and it was like he'd sat on that tweet that that fan had tweeted about two weeks ago where complaining about the show taking so long to come online and as soon as he went, it went online he directed the tweet at that person from the progress account like see uh you're happy now it was just it's that attitude isn't it it's i know people who've been blocked by progress With lord knows this. i'm probably gonna get blocked at some point it's just it's oh, no I'm way to run customer service is it no no so you look at rev pro right Andy Quilded is on the uh, Rev Pro fan group, and he's an absolute gent. He really is. Yeah. And he understands that there is going to be criticism at points. He doesn't make a big deal out of it. He doesn't post that often on the fan group, but when he does, he's very nice. He's very appreciative of the people who are putting money in the company's pocket as well, no matter what they might say. He understands his customer base. He serves his customer base, and he's polite and serviceable to his customer base. Yes, it's amazing. It really is. I met um, uh, Martin Zaki when I was in Ireland, actually. Lovely bloke. Really just quick chat. Seemed like a really nice bloke. Again, Fight Club Pro on Twitter, on Facebook. Don't come across like dicks at all. It's ironic mm. that the company that tell us to not be a dick are then utter dicks on social media. And so petty. So, so needlessly petty. Like, what, what, why are they trying to win these little wars it's like you know needless to say i had the last laugh <laughs> 13 times yeah it, it is it's 
Oh my god, this oh we're off on one now really, aren't we, at this <laughs> point. I mean, it's it's something that is I mean, we wouldn't say all this stuff if we didn't give a shit. And if we just yeah, wanted to yeah, be yeah. arseholes about it, just say all these horrible just say all these horrible things. We actually say this stuff because we care and we want British wrestling to be great. Mm. And we want it to be as good as it can be. And sometimes it's gonna mean saying stuff, you know, to to the to the promoters and saying, actually, I don't get this or I don't particularly like this. So, for example, I mean, James Drake is a singles wrestler in progress. Not something that ever felt kind of natural. Now, I know he's in the tag tag team with Zach Gibson and I am much more interested in James Drake as a result of that. However, saying that you don't particularly like James Drake doesn't make you a dick for saying so. Um, Going back to the article, there were points on there, there was the point I made about Eddie Dennis and unfortunately it kind of the whole conversation ended up being taken over by that and yeah. I you want to get a bit more context what it was yes sorry yeah so the context of what it was is that Eddie Dennis isn't in the the best of shape now which while is I, which is you know don't get me wrong it's, it's to the point I don't think he's in terrible shape but even he has been acknowledging like on his blog yeah how he's been working yeah. now working full time as a wrestler He's getting himself into great shape, and he's working a lot more, and he's going to get a lot better. And Eddie Dennis is someone we've seen really improve over over a few over a few years, and it's really great to see him do that. In terms of two entirely different contexts, with his Rev Pro losing streak combined with his work in progress in FSU, and and in, and his stuff in Attack, so he is going to be getting he is going to be getting better, and that is going to improve. But it's not body shaming. I mean that. At that point, what that seems to be is much more about an audience kind of projecting other things onto an entire conversation, which isn't really the case. And the same thing with Laura Di Matteo in terms of her look is somewhat jarring for me because, and that was mentioned within the article because she effectively is, is based on Yuan Yen Jacek in the UFC. Yet there isn't any MMA office offense in her work. So therefore, the kind of MMA vibe is kind of needless. It's like, well, really, why is this there? And she's going to get better over time. And she's very young and, and starting out. So no, and she's already had a cracking match with Tony Storm. Yeah, yeah. And so she is going to be getting better over time. It's these things really like by making these comments, you're not being necessarily negative. It's, con- it's constructive yeah. crit- criticism. And I'd invite anyone who's, actually read the article the person in there isn't just losing it at the deep end and having a tirade about progress bringing up constructive points and then you think a fan group a place might be where you can kind of have a constructive conversation about like wrestling you would on a wrestling forum back in the day yes like you would do on the UKFF banner and mm. you you'd have it doesn't this... get very constructive there i've got to be honest yeah <laughs> you can you can have a debate and not agree about it without it somehow being like, well, you know, frankly, the only thing that seems to be rewarded is a sycophancy. Yeah. Now, what I, found, I took what, my kids to school this week. I didn't wear a progress shirt for it. Sorry, I didn't. Does that make me a dick of a fan? <laughs> now, <laughs> and if you did, you had to make sure you took a photo of it and posted it online. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I had a shit in Buckingham Palace the other day. I should have worn a Progress T-shirt and taken a picture and said, "Look at me!" Taking <laughs> a shit on the Queen's toilet in a Progress shirt. So, um, what I'm, 
what I was going to say was one of the things I found with that article as well was I didn't necessarily agree with all of the points made in that article. Hmm. But what I found when I posted it on the um, fan forum is people latched on to the Eddie Dennis comment. And yeah. so they took one aspect of an, of an entire article and used that aspect of the article to shape their thought on the entire article and to basically dismiss the entire article there was a lot more to the article than it being a body shaming article which i'd argue it wasn't in the first place but then basically it became this is body shaming this is body shaming then there was a guy on that foot on that um fan group who was outright calling me a fuckwit and all the rest of it and i'm just sort of thinking hold on this is the, usually the kind of thing that people will be told off for on this board but <laughs> it seems all right when it comes to this article because it's criticizing the oh so holy company that they've all sort of bought into and you know can't hear criticized yeah it, it, it's difficult because i mean again while this podcast appears on the indie corner i will again state none of us wrote this article none of us knew this article was coming and mm-hmm. we've as you can probably tell from listening we've had a, a month to, to sit on our articles and and, uh, and stew and uh, obviously we're all quite passionate about uh, the way that it was taken and we definitely agreed with some of it and you, i think you made a good point there joe that we didn't necessarily agree with everything but it didn't make it not worthy of of discussion and i think everywhere else on the internet on twitter and elsewhere think people took the article well i think people saw the the genuine points in there and the genuine points about some of the fan um attitudes and culture that's there and again i always go back to if i was a wrestling promoter if you could bottle this stuff up and you could have fans as progress have who are so dedicated and they will as you say take a, a picture of themselves on the way to school and post memes about how progress has changed their life and some of it's nice and there's the, some of the, you know some of the 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 culture there that fans who go to shows on their own will talk to other people on the fan group and they'll arrange meetups so you're not going on your own there's all there are positive aspects to it as well but it it is i mean it's this very this culture of john jim and glenn are our friends and i will i will say things in the facebook group that are in the hope of getting john jim or glenn to like my post and like you said the all the family stuff it's just maybe we're a bit old maybe we're a bit past it maybe it's uh it's just not for us um one of the things but, i find weird as well is people are constantly thanking john jim and glenn constantly right and yeah i know they tire tirelessly you know put the hours into on the promotion and that's great but why do i never see fans on twitter or on social media saying like Oh, thank you, Andy, right, to Quilden. Why do I never see, um, oh, thank you, uh, Martin and Trent and, uh, Clint or whatever to Fight Club Pro? You know, why do we never see, um, thank you, Stephen to Stephen Flutter? Not that there's a lot of thank him about. <laughs> um, but it doesn't happen. It just happens in this what with this one company where the owners are so kind of, um, visible and, uh, are sort of seen as accessible. I'm not sure how accessible they are, as we previously said, but it just feels like they're in, indebted to these to these guys who run the company. And to me, I I don't know that over time has really sort of grated on me a little bit because this isn't something that exists culturally within another wrestling company that I can think of. Back in the day, when I was watching a lot of Ring of Honor, Gabe was just uh, a bloke. 
and you would see Carrie at the shows, and in England mm. he would stand at the front, and he'd shake his hand and say, oh, cheers, mate, do appreciate you coming over sort of thing. But constantly there's this, like, oh, thank you, guys, thank you, thank you. And, yeah, it's nice that people want to show their appreciation and good on the guys putting the work in, but I just find that it's quite odd after a while that people feel so indebted to those that are running the company. We think with, say, ECW back in the day and the way that Heyman cultivated the fan base, which mm. had a big negative to it after a while where, for example, if you left to go to another company, you were shat on as being, you know, and obviously it's in the context of, of the whole Monday Night Wars and the still existence of WCW at the time. You kind of create that culture amongst the fans, which then also sort of went beyond the hard work aspect, obviously, with ECW into doing some, frankly, ridiculous things. And, however, that fan base did, effectively, when something wasn't right with the product, they shat on it from a massive height, and they weren't going to take any prisoners from it. And there are times where I've thought, like, if there's another bloody British Strong Style running, like, I'm, I want to just go, oh, for fuck's sakes, can we... Do so, please. Can we do something else for this? Because it's it's getting ridiculous. And like you were going to say about in terms of uh, chapter fifty four, um, the way you've got yeah Teddy Teddy Long's tag team maker, um, it, it's ridiculous. It, you know, I, I'm struggling to get me words out now at this point. It's obviously <laughs> well, stuff that we feel passionate about, but it is getting to a point where there are things that aren't working necessarily within the company mm. and what happens if british strong style leave yeah that's the other thing because at some point well, they've got to be off soon haven't they? they're going to be off soon and then what happens well i'm sure they'll conclude the storyline pretty soon anyway you know it looks like travis banks is going to win the title at mm. uh, ali pally and i'm sure i'm sure they've got other stuff in the pipeline that they've got planned um and there's lots of great british talent out there that i'm yeah. sure you know there are talents that are replaceable so I'm I'm not so um, scared of that. One thing I did want to bring up as well, since we're on the subject of, well, we're kind of on the subject of articles, um, I wanted to bring up the article about um, that Jack Sexsmith did with The Sun. I don't know if you both read the article at all. Yeah. I'm aware of it, but uh, the city of my birth would forbid me from clicking the link. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. (laughs) I I completely get that. Yeah. You know, it's one of the reasons I love Liverpool because I hate the sun with yep. a passion. The one <laughs> thing I wanted to say on that was I thought the reaction to Sexsmith doing that article was from so many people completely irrational. The absolute kind of um, hatred that was kind of on that fan group based on him doing an article in the sun and then just kind of really kind of again discrediting it just because it was the sun really kind of frustrated me because for one, the Sun have done some terrible, terrible, terrible things. Yeah. The, the truth and Hillsborough being, you know, one of the worst, and then obviously the phone Funny hacking point. scandal um, being, you know, an absolute disgrace. Think about it this way. Jack Sexsmith is a young British wrestler, right? Um, he's the pansexual phenomenon, right? Then we've got the Sun, which I don't know if it still is the biggest selling newspaper in the UK. I know its circulation numbers as have you know, print in general have fallen massively over the last few years. But it's still got a massive readership. It's also got a non-traditional, probably wrestling fan readership as well. But there might be people who might be curious. If he was to, say, gain 
20 curious eyes from that article. Fair play to him. He's increased his fan base. He's increased, increased eyes that are upon him. But also, you've got this horribly right-wing newspaper, which have been responsible for just horrible shit. But then column inches are taken away, probably from some pro-hard Brexit article, and given over to something quite different and quite nice and quite refreshing about a talented young man from North London who's pursuing his passion, but is also trying to make a difference um, in the LGBT community. Surely that's quite refreshing to have something like that in a horrible paper like The Sun and yeah. takes column inches away from something that might otherwise be quite horrible and quite nasty. Now, how people hadn't thought about it from that other side, and they just thought the sun, no, evil, it's just quite frustrating, really. And it, what it's, it shows me is that there are a lot of people who follow the product, who follow progress, who are quite self-righteous, quite narrow-minded, and are very kind of into their own political ideals and can't really think outside of that box. And when presented with something that is a little bit outside of that box, like, say, the Indie Corner article, like, say, Sex with Doing This Article with the Sun, they go pretty crazy and can't sort of process it. And I'm starting to criticise a mass fan base, but Sex with seemed like he was genuinely quite upset by the reaction that got, and, and he did not deserve that. I don't know. I mean, I went both ways on it. When the article first came out, I kind of shared your thoughts. I even gave... Uh, I mean, I, I joked before about not clicking the link. I mean, I'm probably a bad example of, of a person from Merseyside. I'm not as militant about the sun as some are. Mm-hmm. I definitely have the, the same negative uh, thought of it as everyone else does. Part of me, I mean, a lot of the boycotting, I kind of think, well, you know, we, we don't boycott Sky News. I mean, how far are you going to go with the Merseyside press? Uh, how far do you take the blame? Although... You know, the paper in the recent history continued to employ Duncan McKenzie, who was responsible for the horrible article about uh, Hillsborough back in the day. So they're certainly not innocent, and they certainly... I think the anger towards it isn't always rational, and I think it's understandable that the anger towards the sun isn't always rational. And I think when you mix all those things up, I mean, I kind of first, I was sympathetic to Jack Sexsmith. He tried to say in the you know in his response to it well i wasn't doing this for self-promotion although maybe a, a small element of it was and i always kind of think i'd i mean i don't know jack Sexsmith. i don't know what he's like in real life and part of me thinks uh, is that true i mean there has to be a a self-promotion element to it and maybe that's just me being uh, i don't know overly critical of jack Sexsmith and thinking from that point of view as well I, I don't know i think i'm a bit more sympathetic than yourself joe towards the maybe the more irrational anger side uh, towards somebody daring do something with the sun. Although I would say if he'd done the same article with the Daily Mail, uh, maybe I wouldn't be as emotionally attached to this story and maybe I would maybe see it a bit more similar to you. See it as, I suppose Jack Sexsmith has tried to explain and he see that he's invading this awful newspaper with these awful thoughts and these terrible things they've written in the past about gay people. Um, and pansexual people, obviously. Um, so maybe I could, I could be a little bit more, uh, <laughs> neutral if it wasn't the sun, but maybe I'm just, I'm one of those people you see those, you see the words of the sun and you do get a little bit, uh, blinded by anger, but, um, there's certainly reasons to, to be justified there as well. Oh, well, I can totally see the reaction from the gay community as well. Some of the stuff that they've said about, say, George Michael back in the day, yeah, uh, was yeah. absolutely disgraceful, you know, and I'm, I'm a massive George Michael fan, so, you know, it's horrible. 
Um, but at the same time, I sort of think, okay, it's still a horrible paper, but this is there is something positive about the LGBT community and this rest of it is in there. And I sort of think of him. So I know that JP is a bit of a, a connection to Jack Sexsmith through mm. um, your dad, don't you? Because yeah. he was, he's a friend of Jack Sexsmith's granddad. Um, and he's a bloke from a working class background in North London. Yeah. And I just sort of think his granddad, his dad and his mates probably have read the sun or read the sun. You know, if they see him in there, to them, that's kind of, you know, something to probably be proud of in their eyes. And one of the other points I want to make is Progress have this, these T-shirts with, like, um, the rainbow flag on saying, everyone welcome, right? So, everyone welcome. Now, what does that mean? So, if I was a journalist for The Sun, let's say I'm a neutral football journalist who doesn't really, um, isn't really in a position where I'm going to be spouting hateful bullshit, um... Am I welcome at the shows because, or am I not welcome at the shows because of my employer? If I went there and spoke to various members of the fan group, would they um, look down their noses at me because you know I write for the Sun? Or, or but, but I mean, but you write for the Sun. I mean, that's a that's a choice to write for the Sun. That's not Jack Smith infiltrating. That's somebody accepting money from that newspaper. So I think I would treat that person differently as well. Okay, but let's say I'm a generic football writer who isn't writing, um, you know, I'm not writing articles um, that are trying to rile up hatred or um, lie to people necessarily. I'm doing match reports, okay? Um, put hmm. myself in that position. Am I welcome at the electric ballroom? Hmm. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if you're welcome in my house, I've got to be honest. A faulty. Is it a lie, if, if essentially? I can, if I can say this, in terms of both of you, in terms of the opinion, now, this is the kind of debate that ultimately we always as wrestling fans kind of want to have a rational debate where both sides, the two sides of a, of a, of an argument is being debated about this mm. kind of I think, way. And that uh, would be a lovely thing to see in relation to this article where, and, and, and I, you know, where people for understandable reasons have such strong feelings about the sun and, and actually in a predominantly negative way. I don't really see anyone, anyone who loves the sun apart from a Kelvin McKenzie or the like. <laughs> but um, I think with the, like this is the whole kind of like the idea. Maybe speaking to him directly about this and say, or well, maybe did you did you think of this? How did you feel about it? But actually, just let him have his viewpoint rather than kicking off at the deep end. Not every reaction, initial reaction, has to be something that has to be so vehemently strong in one way or another. Reflect on it. I think you've remi- you've reminded me of something there that kind of backs up Joe's point on the everyone welcome point. I mean, I went to the last Progress Manchester show and Zach Gibson's in the ring doing his stuff, and you know I know he's he's in there doing a character that's designed to get anti Liverpool, anti Scouse heat, and that's fine. That's part of the character. But there was a section of the audience that was next to us that were getting very close to the knuckle with the chance it was get. There was a couple of uh, Gibson buys the sun chance. Um, it was it was escalating and it was starting to get to the point where you're thinking we're not far away here from from uh, from a fight. I mean, there were various people from Merseyside in the crowd, and these are obviously people from Manchester. And I, I kind of, I mean, it made me reflect a little bit on the everyone welcome thing. As much as I, I've had the joke about the the heat, and I I wouldn't ever take it seriously. I understand it's a character. You take Sam Bailey, who's a friend of mine. If he comes to Liverpool with his Manchester gimmick, he gets the same heat that Zach Gibson gets at Liverpool. It's fair enough. 
But at the same time, if you're kind of saying everyone welcome, and then you've got a character like that in the ring, it's kind of like, well, is everybody welcome? Uh, I don't know. Um, it's difficult. I mean, that's a, it's a lovely, nice, inclusive thing to, to have about your promotion, but it may, hopefully it's true, but there are elements of the fan base where you think maybe it isn't. Maybe there is something more to that. Maybe there is a bit more uh, venom behind some of the chants and, and maybe there are occasions where even the, the promotion don't make uh, everyone feel welcome with their, their Twitter outbursts and the like. In terms of the, just to put my two cents into the everyone welcome bit, I think part of the reason I've enjoyed going to say Fight Club Pro or um, Rev Pro is they don't need to merchandise the fact that you shouldn't be racist, sexist, homophobic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, hmm. it's just taken as a given that you shouldn't be doing it because that is being a dick. Now, and and that's part of part of the the issue I kind of have around this is this is starting to get frankly monetized as yeah, well. Yeah, it is. It is. And it is. It's it's good. And don't get me wrong, I'm going to Pro Wrestling Eve on Friday, and they're effectively doing the same kind of thing. Now they're obviously in two very different states as companies, and I'll be interested. And obviously, by the time we do the the next podcast on on the Monday after the the Ali Pally show. Oh, I say I've given a date there. We could easily get that horribly wrong. Um, I think going to the pro wrestling e, e show for me is just like kind of a it's it, it's like kind of an experiment. It's like I want to see what this is like close up, and they're doing this all in order to get their kind of name out at this point, and obviously tapping with the stuff in Glow with progress. And I think this is the, the kind of rod for their own back. They set the standards so really high for what a British independent wrestling company can do, set it by three people who, you know, blood, sweat and tears have worked so hard to create this company, you expect better from them. The standards have been raised. And if the standards have been raised, then the level of criticism ends up being raised. And it gets to a point where you can't, if you're going to get bigger and bigger, you get more eyeballs on you. Some of those eyeballs are going to be thinking, oh, hang on a minute. I don't know if I am going to stick with it because for this, this and this. And then if you think, oh, okay, I want to speak to other fans about this. And then you find that you can't really speak too much to other fans about it in a fan group because you're going to be told 3.57 love is blindness and, <laughs> and think that. And you're just thinking, right, okay, what kind of impression does that set to your product? Now, there are admins. Like, tell people off if that's the case. Like, really yeah. is. I mean, again, you know, and, you know, we're part of other fan groups on the internet where, you know, genuinely nice conversations take place. Yeah, the Rev Pro fan group is just a nice fan group. What I love in the Rev Pro fan group is there's a pin post at the top that says all non-Rev Pro posts here. So all non-posts about like non-wrestling related matters. So anyone wearing a Rev Pro t-shirt while, I don't know, on top of the Empire (laughs) has to go there because no one cares about that because why would anyone... <laughs> Speaking of uh, progress T-shirts and the Empire State, what a great segue to yes. what we wanted to talk about before we get to the the preview of Ali Pali. I mean, I wanted to just get your thoughts on the last couple of progress shows. We don't have really a chance to give them a proper review on the show or on the Indie Corner Network. So, I mean, Progress did make a, a big trip out to America. They went to New York. They went to Boston. Uh, Elm. It was the Elm Core Center in New York that apparent sweat box that uh, caused all the 
headlines with people passing out and that becoming more of a story. Uh, T.K. Cooper and his injury as well. I mean, that show uh, in New York and the show the following night in Boston, there was definitely some positive stuff there. I mean, Joe, I saw you on Twitter talking about it and talking about the difference of, of progress and how well it exported abroad and the difference, I suppose, in, in the crowd that was there as well. I mean, what did you feel about these two shows and did you have any big highlights? Uh, yeah, I thought the New York show, if I'm honest, was a really, really fun show. Like as much as much as the promotion has frustrated me, I thought this was a great show. Uh, really enjoyed it. Loved the atmosphere. Uh, mm. Thought the fan. What I thought one of the things that this showed especially was there isn't that one really, really hot traveling American indie right now. PWG, you've got PWG 400 fans, same place every month. There isn't. A progress in America right now. You've got promotions like Evolve, you've got AAW in Chicago, but they seem to run kind of crappy, cheap-looking venues that you know aren't always fit for purpose. And to me, it showed that there was this massive fan base that so desperately want a really hot independent wrestling company. Mm. And they got this company for a couple of shows. It reminded me of when Ring of Honor came over here in 2006 and 2007, when we were desperate for something like this, when British Indies were kind of, you know... Not Robbie existed. Brookside versus Chad Collier as a <laughs> at Butlins or in some uh, theatre where the ring would be on one side on the yeah. stage and it'd be full of kids in Rey Mysterio masks. Yeah, yeah, you know there were good guys out there, but there wasn't a product that was hot basically. And when Ring of Honor came in, it was amazing, and you know I really was into that at the time. Um, and this felt a little bit like that. Um, what I thought was amazing, how familiar people were of all of the progress talents who really hadn't traveled that much so zach gibson um Mm. this is the first time i'd ever seen zach gibson america over huge absolutely huge i thought that his him and jack gallagher had the what was my favorite match on the show um i've seen them wrestle many times before but of all of their matches that i've ever seen this was the one i thought where they played to the crowd more than not to say they don't play to the crowd but sure yeah they played off the crowd constantly throughout this match because that crowd was so hot and so into everything that it made their job so easy and it was such a joy to watch two british guys from the north just absolutely tearing it up in there yeah. in front of a hot New York crowd. And it I don't know, you sort of felt a sense of pride that they've been able to get this over so big in another country, which was awesome. Well, I mean, them too. I mean, as soon as, I mean, this match wasn't designed, was it? The idea was that Jack Gallagher would be going for the, the progress title, or was it the, it was the WBUK title, wasn't it, against yeah, Pete Dunn? Yeah. Uh, that was the idea. Obviously, Pete Dunn had his injury, so it didn't take place. But I remember on the day, on the day, I was thinking that would be the perfect match. You said, you know, they, they go back years, these two, they've had matches in all kinds of promotions. I've seen them in the Northwest when, uh, Jack Gallagher, I don't think, I think he was, I don't think he was still Jack Toxic, but he was new to being Jack Gallagher, seeing him against Zach Diamond, who eventually became uh, Zach uh, Gibson. Um, seeing that, that match, and both men have talked about them both being each other's favourite opponent. Seeing that match again here when Jack Gallagher's a, a WWE contracted guy, uh, Zach Gibson is independent, I believe. I'm not sure if he's still under the ITV contract, but it was really cool. And like you said, Joe, I think this was for me, just uh, going through the New York show, I mean, this was my highlight. Just this entire opening, and we've criticised some of the WWE style stuff that Progress do, but I even thought the promo was good, with Pete Dunne coming out and Jack Gallagher saying that he'd not seen him at uh, TV last week and 
Gibson coming out and doing the promo and like you said getting the same heat that he, he gets in, in the United Kingdom as well was was really entertaining and yeah it was just seeing these two do a match that they've done so many times before but now with all this uh, different context to it as well was was really cool I mean any other highlights for you from uh, from the New York or, or the uh, the Boston show um, yeah, for, for the New York show as well, one thing I wanted to say was uh, the women's match, the tag match that was on there, um, was a fine match. It was quite enjoyable. But one of the things that I found really interesting was uh, Dahlia Black as a face, because I'd never really seen a rest as a face before. I'd never really thought she'd look great as a heel. I didn't think her size or her offense really suited her being a heel. Now, as a face, she just sold the entire match, and she was very good at it. And she really sort of got a lot of sympathy from the crowd as well. So I was quite impressed with her um, in what with her time off being over in New Zealand. I'm not sure how much they wrestled when they were um, outside of, I say, outside of the UK. This was in the US. Um, but um, it makes me look a little bit more forward to the match between her and Tony Storm. Because I wasn't overly excited for that one. But she is looking a little bit more sort of um, natural and charismatic as a baby face. Um, I've, one other match that I didn't really go into with any expectation and I came out came out loving was the Joey Janela Jimmy Havoc match and I think the crowd just wanted to love <laughs> this show and yeah. because they were so into everything and wanted to like everything it again made this so much easier for both of these guys like big spot sell loads and it was fun and it worked it really worked um weird mix of a match as well uh but you could tell they were kind of enjoying working one another as well joey janela was working his ass off and bumping his ass off in this one as well there are a few bits that were kind of sick with the cinder blocks and all sorts um the thumbtacks on the feet but again one of the better kind of straight hardcore matches that i can remember seeing in a long time yeah, I think that that chair shot that made the the gifts online the uh, the spot with the monkey flip where uh, Joey Janela lands is it Joey or is it uh, Haver who lands perfectly back in the in the seat? I think it's Janela, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, I love I love seeing that online again. It, this was a match that when it was announced, I kind of looked at it and said, it doesn't really sound very progress like. But mm-hmm. Janela's over in uh, for PCW. He's doing a big show for them in December. Could you see him over in the UK for progress as somebody they could bring back? Um, yeah, potentially, because I think a lot of the fan base are going to watch this show, so it's going to make it more familiar with him. He was a lot of fun. He was very charismatic in this. He was very open with the crowd. He clearly was enjoying working the promotion in front of that crowd. So I think if he did come back, he would get a decent response. So, uh, yeah. I, I, you know, it's not someone that I'm pining to see in the promotion, but I wouldn't have an issue if he did come back, and I think he'd be fine if he did. I expect to see him sort of doing much longer. T- I mean, he seems like the kind of in the next wave of American independent guys who are going to work sort of Britain quite regularly over the next, Britain and Ireland, I should say, over this next year, which are replacing the guys who've already kind of been signed, been signed up and ended up going to, to WWE or in New Japan and can only work sort of Rev Pro. I can see him being a guy who's, who's kind of around on a, on a regular, on a regular basis. So I can see, yeah, he'll be back in. Especially with that gif as well. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the, the only other big news, I suppose, from the tour, obviously, uh, unfortunately, TK Cooper um, just coming fresh back as well. We mentioned his return earlier. Um, hopefully, uh, he gets well soon and he's able to to wrestle again on those shows. That was a big story. And Matt Riddle um, 
getting the yeah. Atlas Championship back from from Volta, we've not had the chance to talk about that. I mean, it, it fits in with uh, with the, the subject of today and the and the big show coming up on Sunday. What do you make of that booking? Is it? It seems a bit odd. Do you think they were just trying to give the American audience a big title change? Was there more to it? What do you think was the thinking here in, in progress, putting the belt back on on Matt Riddle? Because we were all certainly high on a, a long term uh, Volta title run, weren't we? Yeah, I was kind of thinking either one or two things. Either they made the decision because they kind of wanted to give, wanted to give that crowd something for them to, to go away with, the title change. The mm. other thing was I thought, well, maybe this is setting up to the third stage in the Matt Riddle-Walter series, and you need to have the third yeah, one. Maybe fourth. Oh, sorry, sorry, but within the, the kind of Atlas Championship terms, in terms of a third Atlas Championship decider, effectively, at Ali Pali. Which then feels when you add Timothy Thatcher to the mix, uh, it doesn't sit particularly. That doesn't sit particularly well with me because I want to see these two again. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah, I'm completely with you. Like, uh, just seems like I thought that the Matt Riddle thing was, yeah, we're gonna make a moment, and then Walter will probably get it back in a month or so, and then have a longer reign with it. And then Thatcher being in there is kind of the unknown element. Now I know. Walter and Thatcher are in ring camp together, so that should, you know, immediately spark interest. But I, I personally, I'm not a massive fan of triple threat matches. I find them awkward. Um, and it just seems that the feud is Walter and Riddle, not Walter, Riddle and Thatcher. Now, I thought Progress made the same mistake last year mm. when the feud seemed like it was Marty and Haskins and not... Haskins, Marty and Tommy End and they just threw Tommy End in there even though everyone knew he was leaving and it, yeah. feel, it just felt like a weird feud and they tried to build up mm. this big epic feud in the video package before the match and it just wasn't that um, I know this isn't the main event but I feel like they're making the same booking mistake again by going with this strange freeway that really doesn't have as much appeal to me and a lot of other people that I know uh, whereas Riddle versus Walter 4 would be a match, maybe if they attach yeah. like a gimmick, like maybe a knockout gimmick or a submission gimmick, just to give it something different, a big show, that would really draw me in. But yeah, there's, I'm not, a, I don't mind Timothy Thatcher, but I don't care to see him in this match. Okay, well, moving on then to uh, chapter 54, um, which was Progress's return to England. This is kind of fits into the theme of the show because it was very much a, a go-home show, go-to-your-god-like-a-soldier uh, was the show title. Everything about it was just... It, it was like watching a go-home roar or yes. more to the point, a go-home smackdown with, as we mentioned earlier, the the uh, tag team partners who don't get along main events and they're very much... Uh, Jim Smallman even playing up the whole uh, Teddy Long thing there. I mean, have you both had a chance to, to watch this on VOD? I know none of us got there, but what did you make it as a go-home show? Did it make you more interested in, in going to the Big Ali Pali show or did it uh, decrease your enjoyment? I mean, what did you make of it all? Well, of the bits I I haven't seen all of it yet. I mean, I've seen I've seen the main event. Um, I saw the wrestling friends segment, which let's face it was a raw segment, a very well done raw segment because Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins are naturally charismatic, but it's still a raw segment. Um, I I kind of felt like as it as it was coming along, it, it everything was a was effectively a time killer. When having seen the result, thinking, well, no, not too much about that. I thought actually the main, I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I was going to. Having seen 
that the way that they set up the match with the tag team partners who don't like each other. I kind of I enjoyed it for I enjoyed for what it I enjoyed it for what it was. But at the same time, everything is kind of you know it, it's it was just felt like we're, we're plodding along. Now I'm going to go on a slightly sort of sorry I don't want to go kind of ranty about it. And obviously these these are shows that are called chapters. Well. Is this chapter on equal pegging with the next chapter? In that case, is it? Is it? Is it not? Is it just sort of a sub chapter? Because chapter fifty-five has some consequence to it, and it also has like double the price consequence to it in a very literal sense for people who are paying to go to it, and some people who complained about not getting front row if they paid for the season ticket. So, what I can't understand is about this is is about you're building up to the chapter chapter 55 which is supposed to be just sort of another chapter show and this one is really just the filler in the lead up to that um outside of that there's there's stuff on there that i will see i mean i've seen lycos and tyler bait um you know i haven't i haven't seen that match yet on here but i've seen them do that match sort of around the country before and i'm i'm sure it'd be really good fun ultimately the feeling i got with it was there's a kind of lack of consequence about a lot of this card and sort of building up into the to Ali Pali. But this that was my feelings about chapter fifty four overall. How about you, Joe? Um I've not seen it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. I mean it was like you said, it 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 was just very much it was all about the, the next show. I think they've although as you pointed out, this three way match, this Atlas match, again I'm not as in, I'm not interested in it either. It's not I'd rather see any singles match than that three-way. And that's how I felt last year. And like you said, they seem to be making the same mistake there. I do think to a point, they've done a little bit better in making Ali Pali somewhat important. Yes. Travis Banks and Pete Dunne being the, the title match, it's something that they've... I mean, they have. They've been in a bit of a holding pattern, haven't they, the last few shows, because they know they've had that as an end in sight. They've tried to do the dream opponent stuff. to pad out the feud. Mm. Yeah. And they haven't been overly creative with how they've done that. Um, yeah. One of the points I wanted to make, actually... Sorry to interrupt you there, Benno. No, go on. Um, you know this whole Pete Dunne picking Travis Banks' opponents and Travis Banks picking Pete Dunne's opponents and all the rest of it? So my thought was when I was watching Chapter Fifty Three, um, Pete Dunne faced Jack Sexsmith, bloke as I said earlier from North London. Didn't have to travel too far. Probably used his Oyster card. Got there on the tube, right? <laughs> um, Pete Dunne uh, selected Keith Lee for Travis Banks. Like has Pete Dunne been given a bigger budget by the company than Travis <laughs> Banks to fly in imports and these bigger opponents? Like how is this? worked out i'm being very picky and very yeah. no i think you're right it, it was very yeah. and it was very samey as well like you said there was there was a lot of pete dunn being the the clever of the two picking the better opponents spending half the time on commentary constantly interfering in travis banks matches and, and causing him to lose i mean he lost that big match with matt ridley in manchester um and you know in this show that we're talking about here chapter 54 i mean the story of the main event was again pete dunn on commentary which He's an okay promo, but he's just, he, I don't think he's very good when he's on doing the colour commentary stuff. But it was basically Travis Banks getting beaten down all match, managing to come back on his own, uh, which kind of didn't do a lot for, for Jimmy Havoc and, and Mark Haskins. And then Pete Dunn came in at the end and, and got the big pinfall. And, yeah, you know, it's just, it has been saving the build. And 
it feels like a big match, but it doesn't feel like Travis Banks is as hot as he was uh, earlier in the year. And I think that's the the biggest critique. Travis Banks should be red hot right now, shouldn't he, going in? And they ended the show with him being beaten down. And it'd be amiss if we didn't mention, you know, the CCK team being beaten down. That's the other big story going into Ali Pali as well. Um, All three of the CCK babyfaces beaten down and... Hopefully we're going to go into Ali Pali and they're going to get the big win, but I don't know with the with progress following the the school of uh, WWE booking at the moment, you could imagine them to pull a Vince and uh, and just have uh, the the unsatisfying ending here as we go into the big show. Well, CCK I think um, seem really hot around the country, but and they seem really hot when they come into progress initially, but they feel like they I don't know they don't feel as hot to me in progress. It's weird. I don't know what it is about it. Because um, you'd expect them to, you'd maybe it's his faces. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. A Brooks heel turn, I think, would be well, a CCK heel turn, and a oh, Brooks yeah. singles pushes a heel at some point. When probably when British Strong Style go would be awesome. I think. I yeah, think that is a good. Um, it would be a logical next step to yeah, go to. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that makes sense. I mean, we talked earlier in the show, didn't we, about who slots in? Uh, he's someone who could slot in. I, I was wondering with this uh, Travis Banks story with. Of, it was supposed to be the South Pacific Power couple coming back and mm. he would have to choose between that side and CCK. You could see either side. You could see TK Cooper maybe turning on Travis Banks if he was healthy and you could see maybe Chris Brooks doing it and becoming a, a top heel in progress as well. But I suppose as we've uh, alluded to it throughout the show, we, we might as well get into it. I mean, we'll go through the, the card uh, that's coming up uh, this Sunday. Uh, progress of again done something uh, of a better job i suppose the the idea is that uh, we've got these uh, big title matches on chapter 54 it was uh, they kind of put the final touches on on british strong style and cck and the final touches on on the tony storm match as well but going through the cards i mean uh, from from the top really a recently announced match uh, zack saber jr is issuing an open challenge i mean it's been a while since we've seen zack saber in progress i mean he turned up uh, an unboxing live he was in super strong style but he's not really been on the regular chapter shows he seems to pop up for these big one-offs doesn't he there are a few theories that i've considered um let's be quite frank about it it's obviously going to be some wwe guy isn't it really and because they're great friends of the company and they're our mates and you know you you do favors for mates so why not give him a wwe star um there are there were wedding bells chiming recently in the UK, so maybe uh, that might you know be a bit of a cryptic connection. Um, in a fantasy world, I would absolutely love it if um, we hear, heard whoop whoop and Marty came out, and then it looked like the leaders were about to clash the progress ring and Marty's back, and then uh, ACDC hits and Osprey comes out, and we get the trip. And I was, I was talking earlier about how much I don't like triple threats. One triple threat I've always wanted to see is Zack versus Marty versus Osprey, and we get that triple threat because that would be a hell of a surprise, and it would be a pretty awesome moment as well. But then I do think that feels like a match that should be built to in some way, mm. maybe in like a red program or something at some point. And well, as far as we know, Osprey and Marty aren't going to be anywhere nearer progress ring anytime soon. Um, I'd love it to be a bona fide British guy who is still on the indies rather than just some WWE guy because as much as there are plenty of guys I like as wrestlers in WWE at this point it just would feel like a random match on the card that doesn't really have much purpose with a big WWE guy and eh, I can live without that personally. 
Yeah, I mean, you've alluded to it there, Joe. I mean, I don't mind outright saying it. If you follow the, the Twitters of, uh, of some of the, the, the wrestlers who, who also work for Progress, Jack Gallagher is in the country. Uh, it's a possibility that you could see him. And obviously they pulled him out, as we talked earlier, for, for the New York show. You could get a really uh, good technical match with Zack Sabre there. That's a, a possibility, but I suppose, uh, depending on what he's in the country for, that might, uh, might make a difference. I mean, Marty's an interesting one. I'd not really uh, considered that as a possibility. You get the leaders back together for a big singles match. I mean, a lot of the people that you you might expect to be here are kind of in the, the smarts match that we're about to talk about next. Uh, I mean, J- uh, JP, did you have any thoughts on, on who it might it's be? It's funny you mentioned connecting the two. The one that, um, and funny enough, me and Joe were talking about it earlier on today, um, would have been Jack Sexsmith uh, as a way of kind of following on from the um, Super Strong Style match that kind of didn't happen because of, of jacket and injured that for me would have been would have been really good and it also would have been a kind of bookend because the more I, I get the feeling I mean, how many more times is Zach going to be able to come over and be in progress what with his other commitments and especially the way that his new new Japan commitments are going to be uh, are going to be going sort of through the roof in fact he's working a match with Tanahashi so I would have personally liked to have seen that I mean Zach is he's my son's favourite wrestler my eldest son's favourite wrestler is um, it was like the first wrestler they ever met, along with Matt Seidel. Um, <laughs> uh, but they uh, so and watching them in the G1 and watching the kind of Zach that I like to see, which is kind of aggressive fifteen minutes. Zach is for me kind of perfect. I can watch that when it gets when it gets a bit long. Sometimes it, you get the feeling of where is this match going. At least with, I mean, I'd hope if it was a match with Jack Gallagher, they could work something that is kind of very intense. And if they do and have like, you know, a really good match, then I suppose I'll be kind of happy. But for me, I would have liked to have seen Sexsmith there. They kind of would have followed naturally along with their their storylines. Yeah, well, I mean, you mentioned Sexsmith there. I mean, the, the, as I talk, touched on, there's the big Smoz match. There's the get everybody on the card number one contenders match that he's in. Uh, he's in there with uh, Chief Deputy Dunn. Uh, we've, we've got uh, Flash Morgan Webster in there, Eddie Dennis, Mark Andrews, uh, Zach Gibson, and James Drake as well. And if I, I'll be amiss if I didn't mention the Strangler in there as well. Um, what do you make of this uh, this new gimmick for this uh, this old veteran, but uh, this new character in progress, uh, the Strangler in this match? Could he be the the number one contender coming out of this. I've got a really funny feeling that I wouldn't be that surprised if it happened. I mean, A, he seems to have gotten himself into a really good shape. The match he has with Connor Mills at Chapter 54 is in really good shape. It's kind of a lot more kind of technical than ever we're obviously used to seeing in terms of his matches apart of the riots. The issue is, it's quite jarring within only a, sort of a couple of chapters to go from being a the core part of the company is part of the riots to being this kind of Jinder Mahal. Yeah, this J- JBL back in the day. Yeah, WWE booking. Yeah, to being a big kind of heel. Um, as well, I'm not necessarily a big Adam Page fan either. So nooses around the wreck, nooses around the neck do bugger all for me. So, but I wouldn't be surprised because I get the feeling that let's face it, he's not likely to be signed up anytime soon. And he'd be a guy to have around the company. I'm not thinking, saying that's necessarily a great idea at this moment in time, 
character isn't nowhere near developed enough. Personally, out of out of this match, I'd want to see Zach Gibson myself, but I've a feeling it'll probably end up being Jack Sexman. I've got a feeling that'll be a, a Flash Morgan Webster. There seems to be something bubbling under with him at the moment. I don't think he's been that hot since his injury, um, since his return from injury. He seems to be a lot hotter in, say, attack and, and chaos, um, a few other places. But in progress, he sort of had kind of nice random match after random match. Um, but they seem to really be kind of um, trying to give him something with the um, video series he's had recently with his involvement with the Havoc and the Haskins stuff. Um, so I've got a feeling there's going to be something with something big for Flash coming up, coming out of this. Um, regarding Strangler Davis, I, I can't see him winning because I've got a feeling that Rob Lynch is going to interfere in this one yeah. and possibly take Davis out of the match. Um, because I think that surely they're doing something with Lynch and Davis at some point. Yeah. I can't see Lynch. I don't buy the Lynch is definitely 100% retiring. Um, I did enjoy that angle they did at Chapter 53. It was um, pretty hard-hitting in places. I've got mm. to say, and Rob Lynch's mum did do a bit of a Mrs. Dad and kind of no-selling big moments, <laughs> which I personally loved. <laughs> um, but I think it would be a shame if um, Rob Lynch didn't get some sort of... Uh, comeuppance or maybe a retirement match with Davis. I did think that was going to be on this card, actually, so I was a little bit surprised when I saw that. But, yeah, I could see a run-in um, coming into play at some point. I can't see it being Gibson, because I think they're pressing their head with the Gibson and Drake tag yeah. team, because it seems like, you know, one of the ways to get heat on Drake and not and try, try and put that heat across as being legitimate heat is putting him with someone as great as Gibson. Mm. So, yeah, I, for me... Um, I could see it being, yeah, Flash Morgan Webster. So, okay, well, moving on then to the other match of, I mean, two people, you talk, this match is a number one contendership match, and it kind of talks a little bit to me to the book and a progress because we've got a death match with Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins. They're two people who are constantly fighting over who should be the next number one contender for progress, so it's a bit odd that they wouldn't be in the top six to eight uh, people, but hey ho, uh, pro wrestling. I mean, what do you make of that? Jimmy Havoc and Mark Haskins, a, a death match? I mean, what do you think they can, as far as deathmatch goes, can they deliver on that heavy stipulation? Will we get something maybe a touch more tame? I mean, I can't imagine Mark Haskins in, in that kind of a match, but, I, I mean, I guess we'll see. Well, one of the things I'll say for this, first of all, is um, it feels to me like the, one of those WrestleMania feuds where um, we've got a couple of name guys that are quite over the fans really like, and they're not on the card yet. We're having a feud together. Um, I know it's been built up over a bit of time, but... I, not feeling the feud in any way whatsoever, if I'm honest with you. Um, I don't know what it is. Like, I just feel completely uninterested in it. Um, regarding the deathmatch stipulation, I think of the stuff that Osprey and Havoc did together, and I never thought I'd see Osprey in that kind of um, encounter. And it was kind of, it was weird watching it live because I felt yeah. quite uncomfortable at times. But at the same time, there was no denying the effort of both guys and what they were trying to get across. It was quite scary watching live. I think oh, yeah. genuinely quite terrified at points of that. Um, I hope Haskins leaves his kids at home for this one. That's all I'll say. <laughs> He's got a beautiful <laughs> wife to welcome heal up at home, so he'll be all right, I'm sure. Um, Indeed. Yeah, this one, I, I have to say, I'm kind of wondering where is it going really for either of them with 
with this? I mean, is this going to be leading into, I mean, it can't be leading into a number one contenders match against the number one contender who wins the Schmoz. Well, it seems like Flash has kind of got involved with their storyline. Yeah. So maybe him winning that buys into that in some way, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, I'm imagining it will probably be a, a hell of a lot of fun. Um, it's going to probably be quite wild. Like you, Benno, it's quite jarring thinking of Haskins in this context. But, I, yeah, hopefully hopefully it'll be good. I don't have a clue, will we? <laughs> Fair enough. Moving on, then, getting to the heavy title match uh, section of the card. Tony Storm defends the Progress Women's title against Dahlia Black. Um, some of the wind has been taken out of the sails of the big South Pacific power trip uh, return uh, with TK's injury. Uh, but it's kind of cool to see them uh, capitalise on, on Dahlia and give her this big women's title match. Is there a chance to win, though? I mean, Tony Storm is, I mean, she's been the, the highlight, hasn't she, of the, the May Young Classic, or at least in my mind, she's been the absolute star um, of that tournament. She's just got a, a genuine star aura about her, and I think she's much more accomplished in ring than a lot of the competitors there. I would imagine that Progress would want to keep the belt on her and keep her that title run going, or, I mean, could you see something of an upset here? Could you see a, a big moment for Dahlia back? Maybe a, a nice little uh, reward for the struggles of uh, the South Pacific a lot of uh, gone through in the last few months. Unfortunately, the the result of this match is kind of dictated by, frankly, whether or not Tony Storm is going to still be there. Yeah, um, that's that's really where the perspective I come from. If she's going to be going to WWE, and I can't see any reason why she wouldn't be. I mean, they'd be insane not to be signing her up, especially given the fact that she's Australian, and that's going to be a part of the world which is going to be kind of the next almost wrestling territory battle, I could say. Well, it's an interesting one as well, because she is currently wrestling in stand-up, isn't she? Yeah. Their kind of version of the G1. But she's on our screens. The- then she's going to be in London, wrestling on Sunday, but then she's going to be in Las Vegas on Tuesday. So she yeah. is travelling around the world at the moment and wrestling for three different promotions so it's quite an odd one so i don't know what her status is at the moment um if i was looking at it from a booking standpoint i wouldn't give it to dahlia yet and progress often have a track record of holding off that big face whim um you look at say osprey lost his first match against havoc haskins losing his first match against marty when marty was champion got a bit of a track record for having um, then sort of go close in that first one but not quite get there and then really build up to that next match and I think Dahlia um, although like I said earlier she was great selling in the match in New York I think they should they could maybe make her a little bit more legitimate as a singles wrestler um, by having her go close in this one and then having her win it down the line at some other point dragging the feud out a little bit giving it a little bit more having her pick up a few more wins having her have a few more singles matches against some of the other women on the roster and I think the payoff would be better long term personally we'll say I did think she was a surprising choice I thought uh, they'd go with Ginny on this show um, so I was a little bit surprised to see him go with Dahlia but I understand him trying to capitalise on her popularity she's probably the most over female face member of the roster at the moment as well so yeah I get it from that perspective Absolutely. Okay, moving on then. The next match, a bit of a controversial one, as we said earlier. Uh, Matt Riddle, now Atlas champion again, defends against Timothy Thatcher and Volta. I mean, I said earlier, I would rather see any combination of singles match here rather than a three-way. I'm not sure the Atlas style or even the style of 
any of these three wrestlers lends itself to a big three-way match, but I wouldn't put past them uh, to deliver as a match. So I guess, uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, as a match, are you expecting much? And who do you expect to win here? Is it a case of the belts going right back to Volta, or are we going to see another long uh, Matt Riddle run? It's difficult, isn't it? Because obviously there's been it's been leaked that Riddle's going to be doing the World Tag League in Japan. With Jeff Cobb as the chosen bros, and so is that going to be? Is he going to be effectively kind of? I'm sorry to go back onto this. Is he going to be exiting the company at any point soon? Is he going to be still with them? Um, given the fact that it's a, a three-way, I'm looking at I'm looking at Bolter getting it back. It kind of then leading to Bolter Thatcher, which is probably something that's going to end up bleeding into WXW anyway because that's now relocated over there. So you know the fact that there's no Axel Dieter Jr. there anymore, that you kind of leave, it, it kind of lends itself to a kind of a big feud between them two. It is jarring, um, I'd say. With this, I wouldn't say it's entirely beyond them, but it's it's really hard to envision Timothy Thatcher in particular in this type yeah, of environment. Uh, yeah, Timothy. When you see think multi man, you don't think ah oh, Timothy Thatcher natural fit for a multi man match mm. because he seems <laughs> to have his style and he seems to work his style and you kind of adapt and work to well you know what I say that you worked in the Thatcher's match the Dijak match in New York um, was a little bit different um, I thought it was more Dijak's match lots of big spots in there yeah. um, lots of big kind of athletic moves with Dijak Thatcher playing a, playing a bit of base at points in there um, so yeah it's a really bizarre one um, I, I, I can't see how this is going to work I really was hoping that Pete Dunn would fly his um, expensive import mate over again in Keith Lee and they'd make this a four-way. Um, that'd be great if they do. I don't know if Keith Lee's anywhere else this weekend. Um, but that would, I think, give the match a, another element. Um, and, you know, they love the WWE booking and look at the main event of SummerSlam that just passed. Big, you know, four big men, four-way title match. So let's hope they go with that WWE booking. Because I like them. <laughs> Well, speaking of WWE booking, we, we move into the, the two big matches. Uh, firstly, the tag team title ladder match. Um, on the last show, on the, on the chapter 54, they had two singles matches, didn't they? Where, uh, it was a member of CCK, so Kid Lycos against Tyler Bates, and then another match with a member of CCK, Chris Brooks, against a member of British Strong Style, Trent Seven. And the idea was the winner of each match was going to get to pick a stipulation here. And as much as Trent Seven uh, asked for the Punjabi prison, uh, that was never going to happen. But strangely enough, we've kind of ended up with a with a ladder match here, just the one stipulation. Um, Trent Seven did uh, say that his choice for the stipulation, if he couldn't have Punjabi prison, was just going to be a straight tag team match falls count anywhere in the ring was the quote I believe which is quite funny um, but we've wound up in a ladder match I mean is that what you expected what you make of the build I mean we were critical of CCK uh, to a point getting the, the belts taken off them has it paid off here has it been worth it that the progress have been able to now deliver this big match where CCK might get the belts back I mean what you make of the booking as a whole and of the stipulation here being a ladder match I'd like to ask a question so I haven't seen Chapter 54, but I've read the mm. results of what you just said there, Benno. This, like, winner of both match gets the name of stipulation. So, was it, like, are we going to have a match with, like, two stipulations? Is it going to be, like, 
Ladder inside a hell in a cell, Matt. <laughs> it's time to punch you up shabby prison yeah i mean i mean they've, they've done this before uh where it's been a case of well one of the stipulations is it's a ladder match and then the other stipulation is loser leaves town i think that's what they were aiming for but we have just got the one here so it is a little bit odd seems again very i hate sound like a broken record very wwe again um yeah I, but anyway that's not the point of this match is it we're where we are in a ladder match um I wasn't as critical about CZK getting the belts taken off them as I sort of thought, right, big moment, put the belts on them, they're really hot, capitalise. But taking the belts off them and then having them get them again by building to the big match at Alexandra Palace wasn't the worst route to go down. Um, don't know if it's quite worked as well as um, maybe the company or myself thought it might work. Um, but it's a match I'm looking forward to. I've got to say, when the ladder stipulation was announced, when I was, was considering selling my ticket, it was something that made me think, okay, I will go to this, because I can't think yeah. of an indie show that I've been to previously where I have seen a ladder match. I've seen them in WWE shows I've been to. Um, but yeah, so quite excited for this one. Um, I think the year that both these guys have had has been absolutely outstanding. Um, seeing both in all sorts of companies across the UK this year, and everywhere they've been, they've been massively over. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of, in a way, feels like the culmination of a great year for, um, especially CCK, sort of putting their stamp on the kind of map of the British Indies this year. Um, one thing I will say, and this is kind of unrelated to the match, when we were at OTT and when I was at, been at Fight Club Pro shows, British Strong Star still come out to love his blindness. My God, it gives them so much as a, as a as a group and as a tag team when it's Tyler and um, uh, Trent. I just feel they lose so much in progress about that theme. Like I didn't realize how much I missed it until we were at those opening shows, and yeah. they came out and just felt like stars. And the song just gives them so much as stars as well. Yeah, I mean, you're telling me you're not a big fan of the WWE Muzak that they come out to seven times a show on progress shows? CCK in progress also. CCK and other um, tag team where music is so important. The Cramp song is so good yeah. and works so nicely as part of the app. They also just come out to noise. Like the, the British Strong Style and the CCK music isn't that dissimilar, really, mm. from, from one another. So... Um, yeah, again, a company that was so good uh, with music and so innovative in the way they use music, music venues for wrestlers and getting wrestlers over, I think have really uh, done themselves a disservice by selecting crap music for most of the guys. <laughs> I mean, I quite like Travis Banks' theme, and that brings us on to the main event, uh, Travis Banks. Bloody horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> um, our main event, Travis Banks finally taking on Pete Dunne uh, for the Progress World title. I mean, as I said earlier, it's got to be a title change. Uh, Pete Dunne has had a good run as Progress champion. Um, there's been a lot of reliance on the Triple H spots and a lot of uh, British Strong Style interference. But it's got to be coming to an end, hasn't it? You would think that with Travis Banks being left lying at the end of the last show... This is where he comes. This is his crowning moment. This is where he becomes Progress World Champion. Is there any other I outcome? I can see Jim Sorman getting into the ring with a chair going to hit uh, Pete Dunne and then turning and looking at Travis Banks and smashing it over. Oh, no. Look at shock on Pete Dunne's face as they uh, hug in the ring and then maybe Glenn comes out and shakes his hand as well. 
and then he hits a pedigree one, two, three, and those will throw shit in the ring. <laughs> I wasn't going to go with that, but do you know what? I'd love to be there if that happened, <laughs> just to see the reaction. Can't beat a bit of WrestleMania 2000 looking. <laughs> you can't. Um, I think with this, I mean, there's a couple of things that immediately spring to mind with this is that obviously the storyline that's been entirely set up is that Pete Dunne has been almost incredibly cocky and casual in the way he's been trying to get rid of Travis Banks. The idea being that he's seen, but he's, he's getting so casual that he doesn't realize that he's actually hardening up ta- Travis Banks by putting him in there the likes of Keith Lee. And that kind of makes sense within the context of it. The other thing I think of is the match they had, and it was the first Fight Club Pro show I went to, and it was the Travis Banks Pete Dunne match for the uh, Club Pro title. And the atmosphere there was absolutely incredible. Like, redi- like yeah, seriously jumping off. It was great. It, it was, was a really overbooked main event, wasn't it? It but really it, was. But the overbooked aspect of it worked so well in the and, context of what it was. And obviously they had the, the fact that, that Banks had the title shot set up anyway, and they built up to a long time for it. So, I mean, like, confident. I mean, the match itself, rather like the British Strong Style CCK, it will be great. I mean, barring, like, God knows, I hope Lycos doesn't injure himself earlier on, but barring disaster, I can't see, really, this shouldn't be going any other way. Unless you're thinking, well, oh, do you remember that time that, say, TNA built up a star <laughs> and then decided, nah, sod it, we'll pull it away from the last minute, just because. Um, that could be the only logical yeah, issue. I, yeah, I was, I was thinking of like, Bobby Roode and James Storm and the like, okay. and they've done, done all that sort of stuff too. I mean, I think with with this you've got to go with Travis Banks and also if you're looking beyond you know we've said it we've said it several times it's going to come to the point where Pete Dunne's got to be in the States I mean he deserves that overall exposure I mean and so what better guy to put it on to than someone who's got in such credibility with the crowd and actually offers up a whole fresh new set of of matches as well and actually matches that if you do it right don't need wacky angles and run-ins and silly shit that actually can just rely on really good wrestling matches as your champion. And I yeah. think Banks is the guy that you would do that. I do think there's one big unknown quantity in this match, in this entire and for this entire show, if I'm honest, and that's the venue. Uh, the venue, I think, yeah. is hugely unpredictable. I know that yeah. um, the seating is flat. And when I've been to big shows like that before... I've always felt flat seating quite annoying um, yeah. because views and angles and sight lines are never overly great. Um, so that definitely is an unknown quantity. Um, I don't know. The acoustics are going to be like. are going to be interesting because it's a really high venue. So, I mean, yeah, it's a big yeah. arena. I mean, anyone who's seen it on the darts will know. I mean, so how is that noise going to travel? You're going to exactly. lose the intensity of the atmosphere, exactly. which if you go to the ballroom shows, you get that. It's I mean, kind of pivotal to what pro progress is really isn't it, it is intense atmosphere and, so. and after Brixton I think I mean there wasn't many people I know we we all were we were all really like felt quite disappointed by by it, that and the venue was a itself bad show. It was the, it's the worst progress show I've, I've been to as much shit as I spat about progress as much as they annoy me I've been to very few genuinely bad progress shows yeah I said the only genuinely bad progress show I've been to was the Brixton show last yeah. year and the venue itself was a disaster even if instinctively a lot of people said no no it wasn't it was great what were you looking at and then you kind of think well there's the kind of acknowledgement by the owners that the the venue itself doesn't work and the layout didn't work for it and it was a real shame because it was like such a show that had been built up and like you say we were all completely hyper with it so the big unknown with this venue is is how it's going to translate across 
if it goes well and it's a great show and then they build up the company, there's no reason why they can't think about possibly, depending on how successful they are, and I know it's bloody expensive, as the owners have said themselves, tiered seating would be tremendous for this. Um, it kind of adds to what is a general lack of arenas in this country, which would frankly be similar to say like the National Stadium in Dublin, we watched the OTT yeah, it was, show. It was an ideal venue for you, that size of show. Two thousand tiered seating up, set up with specifically where you want a ring in the middle of it. Ali mm. Pally is strange, and I'm from that neck of the woods. I used to go like there. You'd go sledging there as a kid and go and play in the arcades and the like. And I've been a few other places around Alexandra Palace as well. And you know, it kind of seems to me like. I don't quite know if it's going to work, if it's going to be the best idea of it. It's going to, it's, it's quite a, it's not a venue that fits in with a, frankly, a punk rock image. No. It is the anti-punk rock. If any. It's very, it's very Tory, isn't it? It is. It is, yeah. I mean, that's not, I wouldn't say that's, it's not a Tory neck of the woods, might as well, Hill. It's posh, it's bloody rich, you need a fortune to live around. <laughs> I'll say that. Indeed. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, Mixed feelings, I think, overall on the card. I mean, I think we all want it to be great, and I absolutely hope mm. it's great. I think with this, there's going to be a certain amount of pressure if this isn't great, and there have been lots of regular fans who have been used to having front row seating or a couple of front row seats, and they're not going to be able to have to have those those shows and be moved around, and they're having to pay a lot more. And if it's going to be, you know, a case where I can see a security team being on there treating us like we're boxing fans again, like we're going to kick off. <laughs> All of these things are going to be, you know, it's it, these are kind of factors that can end up really affecting how you feel about a show. And these yeah. are kind of external ones that don't think they're entirely in control of. And so, uh, you know, fingers crossed it's great because I think, you know, it's, it's good for British wrestling if we're, going to a show that's got two and a half thousand people at it indeed a 30 pound a ticket as well so it's not a it, hopefully it's a it's a big money day for progress there i think hopefully they can like you said the venue won't have came cheap um venues of its type are a rarity uh, around the capital so yeah it's, it's one of those things where i think it'll be packed i think it's got to be a better venue than brixton last year it feels like a better show than last year um yeah. But I guess we'll see what they deliver on the night. The card is, I think the card's good. I don't think it's amazing by any means. I think the card's better than last year's card going to Bristol. For sure. Absolutely. Well, I think that pretty much uh, wraps us up there on a, a lot of talk about progress there. We had a lot to catch up on, and I think we got quite a quite a lot in there. Um, anything else you guys want to touch on before we go? Um, I can't think of anything off the top of my head. Can you? Uh, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say um, we probably want to give a bit of a uh, we want to give a shout out to the, a lot of really good articles up on the indie corner at the minute. Um, there's been a couple of things up on there that I've really enjoyed reading. So um, if anybody wants to go along, I'm an absolute shill there. But um, if anybody <laughs> wants to like, go along to theindiecorner.com um, and have a read of those and the Laura Brooke article in there, who I can also stress I am not Laura Brooke. <laughs> me neither yeah I think that's what we'll sign off on none of us are Laura Brook honest so yeah like, like you mentioned on the IndieCorner.com now there's reviews for PWG's Battle of Los Angeles Lucha Forever reviews you can follow the Indie Corner at the Indie Corner on Twitter uh, where can the good people find you guys uh, on the internet uh, Lem6 
with four P's on That's Twitter. And JPJP, J-I-P, double E. You can find me on Twitter at Benson Richard E. Uh, stay tuned to the Indie Corner uh, for more podcasts like this one. Uh, we should be coming back with a review of Ali Pali, um, so we'll cash in on some of those predictions that we've made on our next show. So keep an eye out for that. We'll catch you again soon. <laughs>